I know several people who are really afraid to send their kids to school. And it's it's such a dilemma, like you, because they are afraid from the virus, but of course they're also afraid for social services. It's it's so, so weird that you're not allowed to protect your child. Nila Brusselars lives in Stockholm. She's lived in Sweden for eight years. She's built a career as an accomplished epidemiologist here. She's raising her four-year-old son here. And she has friends here. Lots of friends. I have many friends who work in the hospitals. A friend of mine lost actually three people. His neighbor died in his 40s. The former colleague also early 40s. She died of a heart attack. And another friend of his actually was for nine weeks on intensive care and is now in a wheelchair and uh, a surgeon. And yeah, so yeah, I guess there are people dying and, and the clinicians that I know, the people working in the clinics, I, they're all like, yeah, we will get it anyway. We will get it. So the only question is when. I'm Kevin Hurton, filling in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Until a few months ago, Sweden's international reputation was pretty bulletproof. Its worst sins were fast fashion and fast furniture. But now some scientists are starting to worry the country's playing fast and loose with science. Sweden's taken a controversially lax approach to curbing coronavirus. Instead of lockdowns, the Swedish state's suggested social distancing guidelines, trusting citizens, in essence, to protect themselves. And now the country of seatbelts and Volvos is being accused of taking unnecessary risks with people's lives, while also paradoxically becoming the new darling of the global right. For scientists like Nila, none of this seems right. Sweden is a very good country to live in. Uh, they value health and, and, and good work-life balance and everything. It's a very beautiful country. Uh, it's a lot of nature, lots of water, lots of forest. I think many people have this image of Sweden as this Nordic utopia where everything works and everyone is friendly. Is that accurate? If you won't ask any questions about the COVID approach of the government and the authorities, it's probably that way. But before we start questioning the Swedish government and authorities, it's probably best to clarify what their policy on coronavirus has been from the start. In February, Sweden's public health agency was telling travelers arriving from Wuhan, China, they weren't required to quarantine if they had no symptoms. They also assessed the risk of transmission as very low. On March 1st, they made it clear that schools would not be closing. But by March 2nd, the number of cases was rising, and Sweden had a new assessment of the virus spreading. It bumped it up to moderate. So uh, when the whole Europe went into lockdown around mid-March, Sweden decided to ban parties of 500 people. Well, in other countries, like in Germany, they said that you shouldn't have any gatherings of more than two or three people. Sweden decided to ban 500. Anders Tegnell, Sweden's state epidemiologist, went on Swedish television days later with this singular message. If you stay home right away when you're getting ill, at least two days after the start of symptoms, that will make a huge difference. And I think strongly that this is the only message that we need to get through, because that is what is important. If you diffuse it, people will start deciding what they will and won't do. 
People in Sweden tend to trust the government for the most part. So throughout this, they were willing to go along with the guidelines they laid out. But even early on, there was some dissent. Swedish epidemiologist and disease modeler Joachim Rocklov, who is not part of the Swedish government, was on that same program with Tegnell debating the Swedish government's lax approach. Other countries that have done well have a bit stricter rules when it comes to that. For example, maybe relatives and others who have been in contact with these people should stay home as well. When asked if Sweden should be taking these kinds of precautions, Tegnell insisted that drastic steps early on would have little effect. And now, months later, Sweden's Director General of Public Health has a very similar message. We are not uh, telling people to stay indoors. I think that's um, a, a very important part of our policy. On the contrary, people should go out, exercise, get fresh air. Uh, it's good for the physical and mental health, uh, especially people, uh, elderly people that could go out on their own should do that to, to really strengthen their, their health in the long run. In Sweden, face masks have never really taken off. The reporting says the Swedish government has been focused on what's called herd immunity. That's when, through exposure, upwards of 60% of the population becomes immune to the virus. And Tegnell says in Stockholm... The 20-25% that we are reaching now will have a great effect on the, on the speed of spread. So with immunity going up, the immunity level of the population can have a, such a slow spread of the disease that the society can start work more or less normally again. Sweden's also been trying to preserve their economy. For example, if we close down the schools in Sweden, we lose like 20-25% of the workforce. But now analysts are saying Sweden suffered just as much as countries with full lockdowns. Nila Brusselars, the epidemiologist we spoke to, isn't comforted by the government's reasons or Sweden's coronavirus response. Since the beginning of April, they said that you shouldn't visit elderly homes if not necessary. And the skiing areas were closed from the week after. They recommended, for example, working at home if possible, but then they've not been as strict as in other countries. Uh, so yeah, life has been continuing for a long time. So even if you know that you are very likely to be infected, you could just continue your life as normal. They did recommend to not travel long, longer distances. So then, yeah, we see that the infection has been spreading all over the country. Sweden is a very long country, so it's 1,500 kilometers long. So now even up north with a very low population density, there are people uh, infected and also yeah, dying. So it's now all over the country, basically. Neil is not just worried because she has a four-year-old and she lives in Sweden. She's also worried because she's a scientist. The first few weeks, we were also working on that modeling work every day. We had meetings one to two hours every day, also in the weekends, like mid-March or something. We assembled a group of researchers uh, from different universities in Sweden. We wanted to see basically how bad things would get and how many people would need hospitalization uh, and intensive care treatment and how many people could die with different interventions. Uh, there had been a few prediction models out there already from Imperial College. The UK's Imperial College model, along with Prime Minister Boris Johnson's intensive care stay, is largely credited with moving that country away from the Swedish approach. Nila says she was working on prediction models in Sweden, too. 
because there was uh, barely any testing. So it's very difficult to have reliable data, but still we worked really hard on that. Yeah, you need you need to have some guidance to know. Yeah, you, you can't just fly blind in a pandemic. We did predict many, many deaths. So we do see that the, our model overestimated the current status now. The Swedish government is currently reporting around 3,500 deaths and close to 30,000 cases. But testing isn't always done. So we do see now that people are probably following more strict isolation recommendations than what the government recommends. Uh, because, yeah, if you, would, if you would see the numbers only following the governmental recommendations, it's really scary. She and other scientists predicted as many as 100,000 deaths by this time, mid-May. So, yeah, it, it's just scary of how many, how many deaths and hospitalizations are predicted. Nila says the Swedish government has been less focused on using science to predict how many Swedes will die. They have attempted to do some modeling, but then I think the first one that they published, they said that it would be maximum 1,000 deaths all over the outbreak. Uh, so we clearly surpassed that already. And so I'm not completely sure where the science is that they base their strategy on. And Nila is not the only scientist in Sweden who's worried that Sweden is ignoring science and getting it wrong. There has been a petition already in March, which has been signed by 2,000 scientists to say that they disagree with, that they ask questions about the approach, 2,000 people. Uh, so since then, there have been several scientists stepping up. There has been a group of 22 researchers who wrote an open letter uh, a few weeks back saying that the current approach failed. At this point, Sweden's state epidemiologist Anders Tegnell has become one of these unlikely celebrities of the pandemic. Dr. Tegnell, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Social Distancing Show. Like Dr. Anthony Fauci in the United States. It is my pleasure today to speak with Dr. Anders Tegnell. He's done dozens of television appearances around the world. We've also heard his ideas reiterated by right-wing politicians in the United Kingdom and the United States. Here's Republican Senator Rand Paul at a congressional hearing. But basically, I don't think there's anybody arguing that what happened in Sweden is an unacceptable result. I think people are intrigued by it, and we should be. And we asked to interview Dr. Tegnell, but they declined. And we started realizing we weren't hearing Swedish scientists like Nila asking the Swedish government to engage with science. Reporting this story, it started to become apparent why. There were some basic logistical issues. One, the open letter was behind a paywall. And remember, a lot of this reporting is in Swedish. But we managed to track down a handful of these Swedish scientists and the letter. And we want to share some of the voices with you. Hi, my name is Lynn Cameron. I'm a professor of structural biology at Uppsala University. I'm Peter Kassen. I'm an associate professor at Uppsala University and I study viral infection mechanisms. Hello, my name is Marcus Carlson. I work as a mathematician at the University of Lund here. In... I'm Emil Bergholz, a professor of theoretical physics in Stockholm. These scientists either sign the letter or support it. I'm concerned about the laxness of the public health mandates in Sweden in response to the COVID-19 crisis. The public health authorities have made two claims that are contradictory. In my point of view, the public health authority has taken a very radical path. They're calling on, quote, the elected people, those who have overall responsibility to intervene. 
It says there is no other choice. As a scientist, I challenge the basic assumptions made. As a human, I find it cynical not to try as hard as we possibly can. And in Sweden, we definitely can do better. But not everyone in Sweden is of this opinion. Far from it, actually. Polls have upwards of 80% approving the government's approach. (laughs) One guy even designed a tattoo with the face of Sweden's state epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell. I came up with the idea because I believe in our strategy. And I believe that the authorities can't uh, make us, like, uh, make us stay at home. If we keep our distance, it's... It's probably going to be fine. And there's a market for these tattoos, it seems. And when I saw my friends doing this gnugis, as it's called in Swedish, I thought like, oh man, I want that on my arm for real. So uh, then I asked him if he could do it for me. So There is something rebellious about the Swedish solution, which seems to sit well with tattoo artists. But what about pensioners, retired people? Like a lot of places around the world, it's been the elderly population hardest hit. More than half the deaths have been Swedish seniors. Nursing homes have been decimated. What we see around us is that we have to face that many of our friends, also relatives, are dying through this disease. And that is, of course, very, very painful. Christina Talbert heads Sweden's pensioners organization. And she told us she's been hearing a lot from her members recently. But she doesn't like to dwell on problems. It's a sad thing that uh, it has been, and uh, we have to do our best in this situation. And even though so many people she represents have died, she didn't have a single bad word to say about the Swedish approach. I got a telephone call from our crown princess, Victoria, and she, uh, she called and asked also, how is the situation? for your members and how, what are you doing? And we had a long talk. She stands by her government and the decisions they've made. It is very good that we changed how we handle this situation in the different countries. And we have, in some countries, we have different cultures. And, and that is also the way how we decide things, that we follow the recommendations from the public health authority and also from our government and other authorities. So what are we to make of this? Why are the Swedish people so overwhelmingly behind the government decision when there's a significant number of scientists in Sweden who are not? One other scientist we talked to had an idea. My name is Panilla Wittungstavsede. I'm a professor in biology and biological engineering. Dr. Pranilla Victon Stafseda works with protein in the biology department of Chalmers University in Gothenburg, Sweden. She's involved with the Swedish Academy of Sciences, the Nobel Committee. It's pretty impressive stuff, which is funny because she thinks Sweden's solution came from a culture of not aspiring to be the very best. I think that Sweden, we don't want to stand out. Swedish people in general don't want to be extreme. We want to be in the middle, you know, good enough is is like kind of a common Swedish expression. Nobody should say I'm the best or I'm really good. You know, you should just be one of the people. So in a way, I think the Swedish strategy to do not so much was kind of a reason of we don't want us to do too much because that would be extreme. 
And then it turned out that what we did became extreme, right? Because all other countries did much more. When we were wrapping up this episode, Sweden had the sixth highest number of deaths per capita in Europe. It could be worse, but it's not great, especially when you think about the children and the grandchildren and about the entire families devastated by each one of these deaths. I'm starting to think now we could have had a lockdown for a short time to accumulate our forces and kind of thought about it and then had a better strategy to continue. I mean, we trust the government very much. We kind of do as we're told. So I think a lot of people have been behaving really well, and that's why Sweden is is not much worse than other countries yet. It feels a little bit like, you know, we can't change strategy right now. It's too late. That would be embarrassing to say we were wrong or we want to change it now. And going forward, she says there's a lot that could change. I would call in some of the other scientists in Sweden that are experts on epidemiology and, and prediction models and viruses. And they should, you know, sit together and kind of brainstorm about this and figure out new ideas. I would make sure that there are, you know, testing. Then we can go back to work much more and do things, right? Sweden is good. We, we can figure out the best antibody tests and the best tests and let people be tested. Then we would know how many are infected in, in, in Sweden and we could consider this herd immunity in, in a much better way. It, it's, it's a problem in a way because nobody dares to say no or do something. I mean, there's a weak critique here and there, but nobody builds up for a real effort. We have a lot of labs and we have facilities. So I think the scientists themselves will step up and do things. But it's not going to be necessarily encouraged. I mean, the government might like it, right? But it's not going to be promoted by them. But it will come anyway because individuals, people like me and, and people like me that are also experts, will focus, refocus and do things. But for some scientists, it's too late. Remember Nila Brusselars, who we heard from in the beginning? She was afraid. She's still afraid, just living in Stockholm, Sweden. As a scientist, but also as a person. She's originally from Belgium, which actually has the highest per capita deaths in Europe from coronavirus. I was really surprised that if you now ask questions like, why is Sweden doing this? Or why aren't they following WHO guidelines or something that you really run into a wall, a very defensive reaction. People get really, really insulted or really angry if you would dare to ask any questions about the procedure. So it seems to be they are proud to be Swedish, but they are very odd if you now in this handling of the outbreak. And we asked her, given everything she's seen, would she stay in Sweden? Are you thinking of leaving Sweden? Actually, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, especially for me, the lack of academic discussion and as a researcher, uh, for me, it's really problematic that you can't just have an open scientific discussion about how to handle the situation. For me, it's really, yeah. And I, I feel as well that it's it's so polarized and that makes it difficult to just, you know, go to the next page and uh, just continue life as otherwise. So. And that's The Take. Today's episode was produced by Amy Walters with help from Priyanka Tilvey, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispa, Alexandra Locke, and me, Kevin Hurton. 
Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Our executive producer is Stacy Samuel. Our head of audio is Graylin Brashear. If you like this episode, give us a review, tell your friends, and subscribe. Malika Bilal will be back on Friday with a special look at some literal dreamers who abandoned the United States anticipating a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that may take away their legal protections. A decision that could happen any day now.